0: Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Monday, September 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to speak to an Air Force veteran with a really fascinating background who's possibly going to have a fascinating future in Congress. Her name is Chrissy Houlihan, served in the Air Force, served with the company And One for all you sports and basketball fans out there. She also graduated from Stanford and MIT, uh, worked in the uh, the engineering science field for a while and spent some time as a teacher. Yeah, She checks off a lot of the boxes and what people are looking for for a candidate, including veteran. As I said, she served in the United States Air Force. We're going to talk to her about what got her moving and deciding on going into politics and trying to get elected to office in Pennsylvania's 6th District, which is in the Philadelphia area. And then we're going to talk to Tom Porter, Legislative Director of IAVA. Of course, they are keeping an eye on all of the things that affect the post-9-11 era veterans, as well as all veterans. I mean, yeah, that's their main focus. That's who their membership is. But it's not all that they are doing. So a good Monday show, helping you start off your week the right way. And I'll start off my week by asking Jake Hughes how he's doing. Jake, how are you? You were you were out on Friday because you were a little under the weather.
1: Yes, I was, and I pretty much and feeling much better after sleeping for about twenty four hours straight. So there you go. That'll
0: always do it. And right now I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm all right. Uh, my cold seems to be now fully gone. I did cough once when I woke up this morning. I was like, oh goodness gracious. Thankfully, this show now is uh, recorded live to tape and then airs about a half hour or so after it's recorded, so I'm able to edit out the coughs that happen in studio, but it's still a pain and something that you'd rather not do. Uh, This weekend was spent uh, doing Halloween decorations outside of our house. Yes, I know, it's only mid-September, but my wife is really into Halloween, so we have spent, uh, again, even more money on new decorations to go with the... Old decorations that we have, and already people stopping to take a look at the front of our house. And she created things uh, that that we we went and picked up a pallet next to a dumpster to bring home to use in the decorations. Uh, A busy weekend (laughs) for that stuff. And then also, we already have one pet, our beautiful dog Walker, big hound collie mix. You've met Walker; he's a sweetheart and he's kind of a a doofus, but we love him. Bit dopey. Yeah. Also, a great guard dog. Let me tell you, I came home from work one night. Uh, When I was working in Manhattan, about an hour late than normal, so he was used to me getting home at about 3 a.m. I got home at 4 a.m. from working the overnight shift at 1010 Winds, and as I stopped to get a glass of water in the kitchen at our old house, I heard a growl coming from the darkness. That made me just about have an accident inside of my pants, (laughs) kind of glanced over, saw the reflection of his eyes and said, Walker, buddy, it's me. He was like, oh, okay. Then he came over and did that. But he is uh, a, he's a big dog and any big dog can be intimidating. And trust me, if he doesn't think that you're supposed to be in our house, mm, stand by, you're going to have a problem there. But uh, we are adding some new pets in the coming days. Oh, really? We bought a fish tank this week oh this weekend the lazy Uh, man's pet yeah so we thought that uh you know my son really loves the water i'm a diver my wife is a diver we love the ocean and fish and waterways we thought, yeah, you know what, after, after we went to the Halloween uh, decoration store, there's a pet store right next door. So, <laughs> we went in there, we bought a tank. You got to wait like 48 hours after you, you know, put the filter in and the water conditioner. So, uh sometime probably tomorrow after I pick him up from school, we're going to go pick up some fishies and put them in the tank. Aww. And he's looking forward to feeding them and was already he designed What's in the tank? It's got SpongeBob SquarePants' house, the little uh, pineapple, (laughs) the pineapple under the sea. You know who lives in a pineapple under the sea. You know who also is focusing on veteran issues, and that is the team at ConnectingVets.com. Each and every one of us is a veteran, so we kind of know what we're talking about in this space, and we know what we're looking for, and that is things that can help people live their best veteran life, whether it's informing them, whether it's giving them a career path, whatever the case may be. Here's one, Jake, and it's a job that I know, God, i got to say at least half a dozen veterans who went into this after they got out, the teaching field. Is that oh. something you would ever consider? Honestly, yeah, I have considered that. I could, I could see myself as like a, like a middle school science teacher. Oh, there you go. I've got the body shape now to be an elementary school gym teacher. You remember how your gym teachers? I remember every gym teacher I had in elementary school. Uh, actually, I take it back. There was a guy I vaguely remember from my first elementary school before we moved named Mr. O, who was in good shape. But then the ones at my elementary school and middle school after that all had, I mean, they had basketballs and dodgeballs. It looked kind of like they were smuggling a couple of them under their shirts. <laughs> Like they like they were black market dodgeballs that they were bringing into school underneath their shirts. It was the guys though. The the women teachers that we had were always in excellent shape. The male gym teachers were always fatties. Never understood it. It was it was just odd to me. One of which was a Marine Corps veteran. I remember because he had a uh, uh, Marine Corps jacket that he wore the Marine Corps League. Anyway, getting into teaching is. You know, it's not the easiest field to get into in some places, although in some it's a little bit easier. It just depends on where you live. There are different requirements. For example, in the state of Florida, where I live for three years, you do not need the teaching degree. Any four year uh, uh, college degree is. Valid for becoming a teacher. However, then you have a certain amount of time to earn the teaching certificates that you need after that. Whereas in my home state of Connecticut, you need to have all the teacher stuff before you go into teaching. Here's the thing they are looking for teachers. It's a job that there's always openings in, depending again on the area that you're in. And veterans, there's some special programs that can allow you to become a teacher. One is called Troops to Teachers, started in 1994. This program, veterans get help meeting the requirements necessary to become teachers, and it also helps veterans find employment as a teacher when they are eligible. How do I know about that, Jake? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go ahead and ask. How do you know about that, Eric? Okay, well, there's a great article on ConnectingVets.com from our own Jonathan Kopanger, who's in here a little bit early this morning. So he's actually outside the studios uh, doing his thing. His thing that he did last week on Friday was four ways to turn veteran experience into a teaching job. Troops to Teachers is one of the programs on there. Teach for America is another. It's a nonprofit that recruits recent college graduates to teach for a few years in low-income area schools. They also have a program dedicated to getting veterans to join up. And then you have the Department of Defense Education Activity, DODEA, everybody who was stationed overseas at a, at a base where families were allowed knows this. They have a program working to find teachers for children of the U.S. military. There are jobs in the states as well as in more than 13 foreign countries. So kind of an interesting option there where if you're one of those people who enjoyed living overseas, and I certainly did, and you've got that teaching bug, well, guess what? The Department of Defense Education Activity is always looking for teachers. You think it's hard finding teachers to work in the United States? Try finding ones that want to go live over in Sicily, for example, where I was stationed. They had a big high school there. Uh, it, it, it's it's a good program that you can get into. And then, of course, the number one program to help people become teachers. Jake, what would your guess be as to what's the, the biggest thing that can help people become teachers? Uh, Something to do with the VA, is my guess. Mm, kind of, a little bit, in a little bit of a way, the GI Bill. Oh, uh, derp. <laughs> if you don't have a degree, it's pretty difficult to become a teacher. You can, of course, get those degrees through the GI Bill. They have uh, numerous things on there, including uh, the Veterans Educational Assistance Program. It's a way to continue your education by using part of your military pay to help cover the cost of school. Uh, to get that benefit, you need to have joined the military between January 1st, 1977 and June 30th, 1985. But, you know, it's a job that, honestly, I don't think I would want to do. I enjoy my son. I enjoy uh, doing fun things like playing sports with kids and 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 going on. Trips and things like that. Being in a classroom each and every day, I don't know. My personality, I don't think it would work very well. See, that's why I
1: think I could work with, excuse me, I could work with middle school kids because elementary school, they're little, little kids who just don't listen to reason mm. and then you got high school that's teenagers and forget that noise yeah no but i think the teenagers, the like 10 to 13 i think i can handle those kids you think you'd be the cool teacher hey it's mr h what's up mr h absolutely all you gotta do is tell a fart joke every now and then they'll love you forever
0: <laughs> that's that's quite true my son does love those more than anything else uh, when it comes to humor you know, But it is a job that a lot of people are drawn to. And if you're a veteran, as I said, several programs to help you get involved in that. And I think that there is a perception out there that may very well be reality from my experience that most teachers, that's all they've ever done. So they have a limited experience in other things. A veteran? They've got some experience in some other things. If you're a geography teacher and you were stationed in Korea like Jake was, guess what? You're going to have something to draw on when talking about different parts of the world. I mean, you've been to uh, several countries while you were serving in the army and most of us have while we serve in the military, right? Yep. Uh. Well, in the country, <laughs> I went to South Korea and then I went to Iraq. Well, there you go. That's two. Yeah. That's two more than a lot of people. And of course, you were in both for extended periods of time. That's another interesting thing that I think gives veterans a benefit when it comes to jobs like teacher, where you're trying to you know, impart your experience onto those students and help them learn uh, through the eyes of others as well as themselves. You lived in other countries. You didn't just visit. Like I lived, we talked about it uh, when we were talking about the Department of Defense School in Sicily. I was there for two years. I've heard a lot of people talk about Sicily glowingly, like, oh, I would love to live there. Those are people who visited for like a week or two (laughs) weeks or three days. When you've lived there for two years, you gain a little bit more of an understanding of how the countries work. Again, a little bit more of an understanding of of what different cultures and societies are like. I mean, I lived in one, two, three, four, I think five different countries, uh, and and each of them very different, each of them unique, and each of them gave me something that adds to my background. So that's just one way veterans, I think, make for pretty good teachers. And again, it's a job where as much as uh, uh, some teachers are not paid enough, also a job where you get a lot of time off that's a good thing you get the summers off I mean yeah you may have to do some courses and things like that as you build up your uh, your certificates and all that stuff and I understand that but as far as the vacation time it doesn't get much better than public school teacher think about you get the time that the kids get off essentially you get the Thanksgiving holiday off you get uh, Christmas off you get depending on where you live there are other religious holidays and observances you get all federal holidays off I mean it's not a bad deal. Again, depending on where you live, you may not be making the most money, but you're also working something like nine months a year. So, eh. yeah. You got to weigh those things against each other. Saw a story here, and this one was actually put on our site by a young man who I went to college with, who is uh, now contributing to connectingvets.com. His name is Neil A. Caruso, graduate of Hofstra University and uh, former member of WRHUFM, the number one college radio station in the country. If you're interested in doing radio and broadcasting, I highly recommend Hofstra to you. They're not paying me to say that, nor did I pay to go there. I went there on the GI Bill and a couple other scholarships and didn't pay a dime for a great education. The story that Neil gave us is about some horses riding through New York City. Not something you see every day, Jake. I mean, no. You're from Texas. Do you see horses riding through like Houston on a regular basis?
1: Regular basis? No, but you do see them.
0: <laughs> you do see them occasionally. Is it like for special things or people actually using them as a means of conveyance?
1: Special things like like, like, like uh, observances of certain holidays, uh,
0: certain like remembrance tours and things like that. This is a bunch of people riding with Braveheart's Trail to Zero, which is riding to prevent or sorry, end veteran suicide so a really interesting uh, visual when you see it i mean you see horses with people on them of course at firehouses in manhattan going down the streets in new york city i mean there are just it, it's it's amazing to see it's not something that you see in new york at all the only horses you'll see in new york are around central park and there's a big controversy about that the horse-drawn carriages seeing these horses ride down the street i'll tell you what It's going to draw attention to the issue, and that's what we're looking for when it comes to veteran suicide. We want more people aware of it. We want people uh, who reach some dark times in their lives to know, hey, it gets better. It gets better. Each and every person that we've talked to on this show who has uh, attempted to commit suicide is now very grateful that they were unsuccessful in their attempt because of all the great things that have gone on in their life afterwards. Not perfect, of course, you're going to have ups and downs, but just because you're at the, the biggest down point of your life, it doesn't that, that means there's probably no place to go but up. Thankfully, there are people working out there to bring attention to this issue and to let people know that, many of whom have been down that road themselves, who have uh, considered or even attempted suicide. There's a lot of great stuff going on to bring awareness to this issue and try to stop it, and this is just one up in New York again. Braveheart's Trail to Zero, The Ride to End Veteran Suicide. Really, really a beautiful thing. And uh, not just beautiful because you get to see these amazing horses riding through uh, the largest metropolitan area. I mean, it's not, when I say that, the largest metropolitan area. It's a huge city as far as within the small confines of New York (laughs) City proper. A ton of people there. Not too many horses. But in this case, they were a bunch of them out there and doing great things. Of course, Jake. This weekend, we saw Hurricane Florence having uh, a significant effect. I believe the death toll last I saw is now up to 13 from Hurricane Florence, uh, mostly in North Carolina. Uh, You've had massive flooding and a lot of problems going on there, close to a million people still without power, uh, and it's not over yet. They're saying that a lot of the uh, rivers and streams there are going to crest today and reach historic highs, which is going to lead to more flooding. I mean— unless you're living under a rock you you can see uh, the visuals of it you can see roads washed out you can see houses destroyed you can see businesses that may never open again really a dark time whenever you look at one of these natural disasters yeah there's very little good that comes out of it. The good things that do come out of it, the amazing work that people are doing. Of course, Team Rubicon is down there. We're going to talk to them later on this week and uh, get kind of a recap on everything that they've been able to do while they're also probably still going to be doing it down there. Here's another little bright spot. Corporal Nicholas Gregorio and his wife Danielle evac- evacuated from Camp Lejeune on Tuesday afternoon. When they go back to Camp Lejeune, they're going to be bringing two more people along with them. They will be a family of four after the evacuated couple went into labor just hours after reaching their evacuation destination of Jacksonville, Florida. Actually, St. Augustine is where their hometown is. But they went up to uh, Naval Hospital Jacksonville there and gave birth to twins. So got out of the way of the storm, brought in their family. And one of these interesting things that happens every once in a while, and this guy, it's one of my military connections. It just keeps coming back and back to me. Jacob Sippel is his name, the photographer who took the picture of the twins that you may have seen on CBS and CNN and all over the place, this picture of the new family there. Jacob Sippel and I worked together on the USS Frank Cable in Guam. Oh, wow. And you know how we write articles on ConnectingVets.com each and every day because we're connecting vets every day, right? Right. We get photos for those articles from different places. I tend to get them from... The sources themselves, people we talk to on the show, or from the Department of Defense. Because when you're talking about military and veteran issues, DOD has a lot of fantastic photographers out there and a lot of great photos to draw from. I don't think I've used anyone's photos more than once, like any photographer. I've not recognized a name any not any names. I've used one photo from, like, let's say, uh, Jake Hughes Jr., your, uh, your replacement in the Army yeah. there, I yeah. <laughs> took a photo. I've used one photo from from all the photographers that I've used, with one exception. This guy, Jacob Simple, who's working down at uh, – he's in Jacksonville, so I believe he works for the hospital uh, as a civilian now. Takes a lot of photos around the base of health issues that they've got going on. I think I've used four photos of his, Whoa. no more than one from anybody else, and it's not on purpose. It's not like, oh, I know that guy. I look for a photo. I see, oh, this is a good photo. That's the kind of thing that I want to see. And it just happens to be Jacob Sybil. It's a cool coincidence. It's an odd one, but yeah, cool one. It's a. What can I say? We Jacobs are awesome. There you go. Yeah, he's uh, he's an Iowa Jacob, not a Texas Jacob. But uh, you know, I guess we're widespread. Yeah, there's some similarities. Charlie Daniels is he actually from Georgia?
1: I have no idea.
0: I know he's saying about the devil going down there, but I don't know if he's actually from Georgia. He may be. I know he's not a veteran, but he's doing some pretty cool stuff to help veterans and to bring some uh, some spotlight, some of that Charlie Daniels glow over to the veterans on September 18th. That's tomorrow at the Palm Restaurant in Nashville. The Charlie Daniels Patriot Award Dinner is going to be held. It's going to be a celebration and include remarks from Chris Spence and Mario Vigil, two of the real horse soldiers depicted in the 2018 film 12 Strong, of course, came into northern Afghanistan and along with the Northern Alliance, kind of kicked off. Operation Enduring Freedom. They were the very, very first boots on the ground over there. Uh, This is what Charlie Daniels tells Connecting Vets. Yeah, our Matt Sansing talked to Charlie Daniels himself, saying that, hey, we're just trying to say thank you on behalf of our veterans, individuals unsung who do so much for veterans. There's going to be a silent auction at the thing, followed by a surf and turf dinner, and then a live auction. Individual ticket prices, $300. Tables with seating for eight people, $3,000. And the funds are going to go towards the Journey Home Project. It's an organization founded by Charlie Daniels, committed to connecting donors with legitimate veterans charities. That is fantastic. So expensive seats. You're going to have a some, uh, some great time if you go there, obviously. Uh, and it's tomorrow. So uh, if you're in the Nashville area, you can go to ConnectingVets.com. Click on the story. They've got links to it and everything. Um, this is important. There are a lot of charities out there who should have quotation marks around them, who are actually just taking in money on behalf of veterans and it's not going to veterans. It's kind of a way to find uh, money. It's free money for scam artists. And it's, it's an unfortunate fact, and we talked about this with USAA, about the hurricane coming through. You gotta watch out for scam artists in almost every walk of life. If a deal sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Now this dinner with Charlie Daniels and friends that sounds pretty good. I don't know about too good to be true, but it sounds pretty amazing. Still, if he were an unscrupulous individual, he could be ripping people off. He's not. Clearly, not only is he not, this foundation that he started, the Journey Home Project, actually works to vet those veterans' charities and make sure that donations are going to people that are actually going to use it to help veterans and not just use it to build their brand, which gets more money in. And there's been a lot of issues with that, you know, Jake?
1: Yeah, there's there websites like, I think it's called Charity Tracker or something like that. Charity Navigator, Journey, I think it Charity is. Navigator, yeah, where you can check on the, you know, see how much of every dollar is going towards the cause of whatever it is you're donating to. So it's good that there's people out there kind of keeping an eye on this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and the the issue is, even with Charity Navigator, there are some smaller local charities that will pop up and haven't yet been checked by them, and they may be great, or they may not. They may be people that are just trying to get your money and using something like, I you know when you see a tip, like a, a donation jar at a gas station, and it's like, hey, we're trying to help fight leukemia, and then there's no other information on there. It's just a picture of a sick kid and you're like, well, is this legit or is this someone who just posted, pasted a a picture onto a plastic jug and is looking to get some free cash? You don't know. When you have organizations like the Journey Home Project and Charity Navigator, when they do find out about charities, they check them out. It's, It's important and it's fantastic work that they're doing. This also, we found out, is not the first charity night supporting veterans for Daniels. In fact, earlier this summer, he teamed up with Middle Tennessee State University for the Veteran Impact Celebration, and they raised $177,000 for Middle Tennessee State University's Veterans and Family Center, which is named after Charlie Daniels and his wife, Hazel, because, of course, he gave a lot of money to help get that thing founded. The other quote in the story we've got, these guys and gals have gone through so much at Middle Tennessee State We have job placement, and we try to create a state-of-the-art place where veterans can go to address their needs. That's something I was just talking earlier about Hofstra where I went. Um, Nothing really like that for us there. There wasn't a veteran center, not a huge veteran population on the campus either. There were a handful of us. I knew like five or six other people, and I'm sure there were more who I didn't know. It's a pretty big school. The fact that some of these places do have an amazing facility like that available to veterans I can imagine how beneficial that would be. I mean, like even if there were one at, at Hofstra, I was a commuter student, so I would drive. Sometimes I'd have a morning class. I'd get there. My class was at like 930, and then I'd have an afternoon class. So my class is over at 11, 1130 or whatever, and then I have four hours to spend on campus. Now, I was a member of the radio station, so I'd basically go in there and do some work or work on the computers or play around with recording stuff. I had options, but I didn't have something like this Charlie Daniels uh, and uh, Hazel Daniels Veteran Center that they have at Middle Tennessee State University. I I like to see that, and I like to see celebrities using their celebrity for good use. Not using it to try and make more money for themselves, but using it to make money for others. Charlie Daniels still got those devil-went-down-to-Georgia royalty checks coming in. Oh, yeah. hes I'm, I imagine, I don't know, I'm not his accountant, but I imagine he's made quite a bit of money over the years. Clearly, with that center being named after he and his wife, they've spent some of that money to help veterans. And that's something that uh, is really great to see and also great to see from someone like Mr. Daniels, who's not a veteran himself, just cares about us. It warms the cockles of your heart to know that there are people out there who care about us, even if uh, you know they don't know us personally, or even if they don't have uh, that that same tie that we have to some other veterans. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's just nice. You know what else is nice? The morning briefing on Entercom Radio's Vets dot com. By the way, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Still to come on today's show, coming up next, Chrissy Houlihan. She's an Air Force vet with a fascinating background, Stanford graduate, MIT graduate, former school teacher, former executive for And One, the basketball apparel company, and, of course, the And One mixtapes and all that stuff. She's now running for office in Pennsylvania's 6th District. There's a congressional seat there, pretty much up for grabs, and it's looking pretty good for her on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Sat down with her and talked to her last week. We're going to play that interview for you today. It's coming up in just a little bit. And, of course, Tom Porter, Legislative Director for IAVA, will be joining us to talk about the latest and greatest that that organization is focusing on. It's the Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. We'll be back with Chrissy Hoolan right after this.
2: We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day.
1: Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets.
0: Welcome back to the morning briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets Every Day is our slogan, and it's what we're doing. And I'll tell you why we're doing it. Each and every member of the Connecting Vets team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off for that last time. The fear, the struggle, the difficulty that you can face when you're transitioning from a life in uniform to a life as a civilian. We know all too well how that can be, and that's why we're working all too hard well, that's probably not the right term to make sure that you have the best information and news and basically making sure that you are aware of everything that's available to help you live your best veteran life. So visit ConnectingVets.com every day and follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest knows what it's like to wear the uniform of the United States Air Force and soon might know what it's like to wear one of those fancy pins that members of Congress get on Capitol Hill. She is Chrissy Houlihan, who is running for office in Pennsylvania's 6th District. Chrissy, welcome to the show. How are you today?
2: Thank you. I'm really great. Thanks for having me.
0: So, as I mentioned, an Air Force veteran long before the political career. Tell us just a little bit about your time in service, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did in the Air Force.
2: Sure. So, uh, service is part of my family responsibility and duty. I am third-generation military. My grandfather and my father were career naval aviators, uh, and both served about 30 years each in the Navy. And I joined the family business right out of school I had an ROTC scholarship uh, in in the Air Force which they uh, graciously allowed me to join instead of the Navy had the aspiration at that time to be a, an astronaut and so followed Sally ride to the Stanford University which is where she also went with an uh, uh, the idea that I really wanted to be a pilot and an astronaut.
0: Mm. And what did you end up doing for your time in the Air Force? Because I didn't see astronaut
2: on <laughs> the uh, resume. It didn't end up happening that way. <laughs> and that's okay. I, you know, I had the opportunity, frankly, very early days to meet my husband, who has now been my husband for more than 25 years. And they knew the lifestyle that I was going to ask a family of. Uh, and I knew that I really didn't want to sign up a next generation of people to be as wandering as I had been as a child and to move around as frequently as I had. And so decided to instead seek a career as an engineer. So I was a program manager and an engineer in the Air Force. I served up at Hanscom Air Force Base in the Boston area. I worked on the strategic defense and air defense initiative programs as an engineer. So my job was to think all day, every day about the end of days. You know, what would happen if the uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles or otherwise were raining down on us? And how would we react? And how would we make good decisions?
0: Of course, you rose to the rank of captain in the United States Air Force and then uh, decided that your time in the Air Force was at an end. What do you recall about that period of time in your life when you took off those Air Force blues for the last time? Was that a a difficult time for you? You
2: know, it was a difficult time in the sense that it was a a difficult time for our nation and trying to understand what the threat was. I served in the late 80s and early 90s, and so I was serving right when the Berlin Wall was falling, right when we were trying to establish what our threat was at that point in time. And so there was a reduction in force, and I had actually had my first child, uh, was planning on having a second child. And I can tell you that it was a struggle to decide to separate from the military, but I think, again, it was the right choice for my family. Uh, I was the, the only person in active duty at the time. Of course, my husband was not. Uh, and it was quite a challenge to raise a small and young family at that time in the military as a, as a woman.
0: I think about the fact that I, I I have a family now. I didn't while I was in for 13 years, and I can't imagine having put them through the rigors that a, a military family has to go through. I'm kind of glad that I found them uh, afterwards, that I found my wife and that my son came along after I was out of the Navy. But Chrissy Houlihan started her family while serving in the Air Force, moved out. What did you do when you got out of the Air Force? Your first step was not to run for Congress, as you are now up (laughs) in Pennsylvania. So you had engineering training. I'm going to assume that you probably went into that field in some manner.
2: So I've had a really eclectic career after separating. And what I did immediately after the military was I went back to graduate school, also Mm. in engineering, up in the Boston area at MIT. And I was also fortunate then because there was a combined program with the defense aerospace industry and the military, all the services in the military, that was something called the Lean Aircraft Initiative. And basically what that was, was an initiative to try and understand what the Japanese had done successfully in manufacturing cars in the auto industry and figure out how to apply that to the airframe manufacturing industry in the American defense uh, area.
0: Wow, that's way over my head, as are most things at the Massachusetts Institute <laughs> of Technology, I think. But obviously you worked on that and uh, and eventually uh, moving on into the political sphere. But between that, I mean, w- was it mostly... Uh, Kind of looking at those sorts of things for you, and staying in that military one, or is it more eclectic? As no, you said?
2: and that and that's when my career really took a hard right turn. I had the chance to join some friends of mine from college who had started, of all things, a t-shirt company, oh, wow. a basketball apparel t- and and footwear company. It eventually became, <laughs> and so as you can imagine, with a, a background like an engineering and and defense background, that my folks didn't think that I necessarily should be taking a hard right into apparel and footwear. Um, but I thought it was a really good uh, opportunity to join a very young and rapidly growing company, f- very diverse, full of a lot of really interesting people. That company was called And One Basketball. I'm oh, um, familiar
0: with it. I yeah. served
2: as the chief operating officer there. First mom, first woman, first person uh, who didn't really care about basketball at that organization. <laughs> and my job was to grow that company from effectively startup to a couple hundred million in revenues every year.
0: I had a couple and one t-shirt, so I've probably paid for like your parking at least once or you, twice You definitely helped
2: uh, <laughs> help clothe my children. Thank you for that.
0: That is uh, a very eclectic move, going from engineering and looking at uh, basically moving Japanese technology to the U.S. aerospace industry. Working in a variety of fields is something that I don't know if we see from too many political candidates. So I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, but first... When did the political bug bite you? When did you decide, you know, I think I want to run for office?
2: So I really wasn't bitten by the bug until the election of 2016. Uh, The evening of the election of 2016 was a very difficult experience for me. Uh, As I mentioned, I am third generation military and I was raised in a household and in a family that was very much raised to respect the democracy uh, to respect the will of the people and to salute smartly and carry on regardless of who your commander in chief is. Um And for the very first time in my 51 years of being on the planet, I very much worried about the democracy and I worried about the freedoms that I and my father and my grandfather and my extended family, I have four active duty cousins right now, uh, had been working towards and for over our lifetimes. And so I sort of did a little bit of a a self gut check in a way and kind of realized that I had a lot of the background and experience that I thought was relevant and important for leadership to have in government. And that uh, even though I hadn't had any experience in running for any sort of political office before, nor did I have any interest in doing it before, that this was the time to kind of come off the sidelines and raise your hand and answer the call in a very different way for the very first time. And because I have a background in defense and, and, uh, and uh, national security and a background in business, and we haven't talked about it, but I also have a background in education as well, I really thought that those were the skills that we should ask for from our leaders, uh, specifically from Washington. And so it was at that point that I stepped forward to try and answer this particular call.
0: I think whether someone agrees or disagrees with someone politically, they can look at their resume and see, oh, yeah, no, they check off all the boxes. And it, it certainly seems that you do. Here's a question that I don't know that I've asked to any of the other candidates that we've had on the show. How does one go about starting the act of running for Congress? Did they come looking for you? Did you go looking for them? How did it actually begin?
2: So some some candidates, I believe, are you know formally recruited to run for office because they fill various buckets and check various boxes. I think uh, in my particular case, I recruited myself in the same <laughs> way that I recruited myself to join the military. Um, and the way that I did that was several. I first and foremost went to my local. I'm a Democrat. My local Chester County is where I'm from. Democratic Party uh, attended a training session there to try and understand what it meant to run for office. I didn't. Actually actually realized this until I attended that but there are hundreds and thousands of elected officials and offices in the state of Pennsylvania which is where I'm from and so it wasn't just raising your hand to run for congress and there weren't just six people in the room there were hundreds of people who attended that training session at that time Uh, The other thing that I did was I reached out to a couple of organizations that align with my, you know, sensibilities. One of them is an organization called the New Dems, which is down here in Washington, D.C., and the New Dems are a group of moderate Democrats who are pro-business, pro-national security, and also pro-people, so I talked to them about my ideas, Um, and finally, I I reached out to an organization called Emily's List, which helps to get women elected to Congress, specifically, and all of those organizations, national, statewide, and local were helpful in in helping me understand how to do this.
0: You are now just a couple months away from the election. You've gone through uh, the majority of this process. Is it something that you would recommend to other veterans out there, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, if they're thinking, you know, I think I might be able to make a difference running for office either on the national level like you or the statewide level, the local level, whatever the case may be. What would you say to someone who's thinking, "Eh, maybe I'd consider that if they're on the fence, which which way should they go?
2: I would very much encourage other veterans, and frankly, other women as well, to uh, serve in this in this way. I think it's really, really important, and I think that we are a voice that needs to be at the table. I think that it's hard to be a veteran or a woman or a scientist, an engineer, uh, an educator. All of those things are hard for uh, you to crack through, you know, to break through a process that really elevates mostly uh, lawyers, to be honest. Um, But it is something that I would say we should all try and aspire to do because our issues are the issues of our nation and we really need to be taking care of each other. I think that veterans singularly understand what it means to serve and this is service regardless of your party regardless of your policies and you're serving country above all
0: we're speaking with Chrissy Hoolihan who is running for Congress in Philadel sorry in Philadelphia's in Pennsylvania's 6th district Philadelphia's district, that's a whole different thing it's in the Philadelphia area though as you said Chester County I'm from the northeast I'm familiar with the area Are there other veterans in your local area that you've been able to meet up with who are also running for office on that local or or national or statewide level?
2: I've had the remarkable experience of meeting a few dozen veterans who are running in the in the national arena, um, been unified uh, in our efforts together to make a difference in this way. Um, Some of them are in our general region. Max Rose is running up in New York. Mikey Sherrill running in the New Jersey area. Uh, have the opportunity to meet a variety of people all across our our country, frankly, and that is one of the things that motivates me to keep going. This is not my natural habitat. I didn't anticipate that I was going to grow up to be a congressional candidate, Uh, but I really do find a lot of hope in in the people on both sides of the aisle who are running who are veterans.
0: That's my next question for you, actually, and that is that we have quite a few who are running for office. We have quite a few who are in office. Percentage of those serving in Congress? It's higher than the population in general. It's still at almost the lowest levels that it's ever been, certainly since World War II, when just about everybody in Congress had some military background. Do you think that the military background that you share with someone like uh, a conservative that we were talking about off air, Dan Crenshaw is running down in Texas. Do you think that, that that shared military experience that you have and that respect between the two of you for that, do you think that that could lead to finding some sort of middle ground on some of these more difficult issues that we deal with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And when I was serving active duty, there was never a conversation about party affiliation when we were working together to get mm. things done. A lot of the veterans that I'm working with uh, now in this in this particular effort Uh, have similar stories where they effectively say, you know, nobody ever told me that this is this flight's only for Democrats or that organization's only for Republicans. We need to work together. We need to make sure that we're elevating the country over everything else. And I think that I really do believe that that's one of the uh, things, strengths that veterans bring to the table when they're working together is they're enormously capable team builders and pragmatists. And they're
0: also people who have an understanding of what it takes for someone to be in the military, what that means, which I would say in the vast majority of cases, someone who served in the military, you can certainly look at them and say, this is someone who cares about this country. Mm -hmm. Whereas some people on either side of the political spectrum can look at uh, people on the other side who didn't serve in the military and say that person wants to destroy what America's all about. Do you think that can also be some sort of a a congealing factor when it comes to this fractured political state that we're in right now?
2: Absolutely. I I really do worry for the country that we really are divided in a way that I've never seen before. And it pains me to see the way that we're uh, othering each other, that we are constantly trying to figure out what you know, tribe you're from, for lack of a better way of describing it, and we're all Americans. Uh, I think veterans understand that more than anybody, and I do think that the veterans who are hopefully rushing into this situation are all about making sure that we can heal ourselves as a nation.
0: One of the things that I recall from speaking to Dan and speaking to Ken Harbaugh and speaking to Senator Joni Ernst and and all the all the politicians that we've spoken to on the show and those running for office the majority of not the majority all of them each and everyone has told me that they may have used their service in some way to kind of get their foot in the door but then they need people to listen to what they're talking about and focus on the issues serving in the military is a great thing but it does not immediately Mm -hmm. qualify you for office Mm -hmm. it's where you stand on the issues so let's talk a little bit about the issues that you're running on what are the core issues of Chrissy Houlihan's campaign for the sixth district in Pennsylvania
2: So the issues in the 6th Congressional District, which is in the western suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, of Pennsylvania, are not different, in my opinion, than any of the issues that are of Pennsylvania or the nation at large. They're what would be considered kitchen table issues. They're the issues that keep you up at night. Uh, Again, apartisan, nonpartisan issues. They're making sure that people have access to affordable and quality health care, making sure that we have a continued access to great education that we have many of us have been beneficiaries of making sure that we have good jobs jobs that treat each other with dignity with a living wage with equal pay for equal work uh, and making sure that medicare and social security and those uh, those really important so safety nets are also something that's consistently available for all of us
0: of course people can go to your website com to find out more about those issues one interesting one that I see when looking down the list, and it's one that I, you know, many people with military backgrounds seem to disagree on for some reason, and that has to do with guns. One thing I noticed from your website that I found interesting and wanted to uh, to ask you about was that you don't put gun control, but actually gun violence prevention, which uh, some people would say those are the same issue. Some people would say uh, that they're different. Where do you stand on guns, which particularly in America's cities are are, are basically a, a scourge? There's mm-hmm. something that has caused too much suffering in mm-hmm. places like Chicago, in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. New York City, go around the country to all the cities. Uh, where do you stand on guns and gun control and gun violence? And, and how do you think we should address that?
2: So one of the things we didn't cover in our conversation yet is that I also spent the last five or six years of my career working in uh, North Philadelphia and in Philadelphia proper on um Education, issues of education and early childhood literacy amongst communities that are really underserved and very challenged by a lot of things, but one of them being violence uh, as well as uh, access to a, uh, quality education. And so I was actually a teacher. I taught chemistry in North Philadelphia for a time and then spent the last four years working with similarly um, c- communities that are similarly uh, disenfranchised. And so, guns in the classroom and gun safety and addressing the uh, scourge of gun violence is, is important to me for a couple reasons. One is I do come from a heritage of um, uh, the military. I do believe strongly in the Second Amendment. I think you should have access to guns to be able to collect and to hunt and those sorts of things. But I also think there is such a thing as responsible gun ownership. In my community, 40% of us in Chester County and Berks County own guns, uh, but I believe 70, 80, in some cases 90% of us, depending on the issue that we're talking about, believe that there are common sense things that we can be doing to make us safer in our classrooms, in our communities, in our country. Um, And those are some of the things that we're talking about in our community in terms of gun safety.
0: And when it comes to gun violence, uh, most of the gun violence is not being committed, of course, by lawful gun owners. There's a lot of illegal guns out on the street. However, how did they get there? Where did they come from? There are some things that we certainly do need to address, and I think people on both sides of that issue, particularly military veterans, have an understanding of that. But it is a difficult conversation. But do you think that that is one that the the combined uh, military background of all these veterans running for Congress and those who serve, having the knowledge that you do and having that place to come from, uh, not ignorance, because there are some politicians out there wouldn't know the first thing about a gun if you asked them, you know, what? what is an assault weapon, an assault rifle? What is the difference between those terms? They wouldn't know. Do you think that this is one that the veterans really should take a, a, a lead in addressing?
2: I can talk certainly only for myself. It is something I feel a responsibility to lean into because of my experience, my personal background and experience, both in a classroom and also, you know, in service. I think that I have a responsibility to talk about this issue.
0: Yeah, that's certainly a big one. And there are a lot of big issues. And those are the priorities that Chrissy Houlihan has as she runs for Congress, growing the economy, immigration reform, money and politics. When you are out on the campaign trail and people come up to you and veterans come up to you, those who agree with you, those who disagree with you, what's been the response from the veteran community to your campaign?
2: I think it's been remarkably receptive. I mean, I I think fundamentally where I come from in Pennsylvania, the suburbs of Philadelphia are what I try to describe to other communities as a purple people. You know, we sort of have party affiliations, but they're relatively speaking loose and, and we sort of sit left of center or right of center. And we also are very private about kind of where we stand politically and so the conversations are are really fascinating conversations uh in some cases where people wouldn't necessarily expect from a a woman who is uh you know in her 50s and uh, uh, presents herself in this way that you would have been a veteran those are actually also interesting conversations that i've served
0: It is. And there is no, there's no standard mold for a veteran. I mean, there are the, the super secret squirrel special operators out there. There are the pilots, there are the mechanics. And, and we don't all, we're not a monolith. We don't all come from the same thing. We didn't do the same thing. We don't think the same way, look the same way. Do you find ever that there are people who assume because you're a veteran and a politician now that you're going to think some, some particular way, or they might be surprised by your position on things?
2: Well, I think I allow people to think differently sometimes who may have a certain position on something and maybe uh, feel as though maybe they're entrenched in some way in that position that whenever they have the opportunity to speak to me as a as a veteran or as a business owner and operator uh, who has a career that they may not expect of a person who's running in my position, uh, that they have a, the ability to have a more open conversation and maybe a question Uh, question some of the things that they're talking about. So it's a good, open conversations are important.
0: It's also going to seem, at least based on your background, that there are not going to be too many conversations that you won't be able to at least have some sort of uh, thing to draw from in your background when it comes to... (coughs) Jeez, more I talk, the worse it gets. Of course, working as an engineer, working as an educator, being in the military... Do you think we need more people of that kind of diverse background in politics and fewer of the lawyers and career politicians, people who, you know, senator is what they wanted to be from when they were in the first grade?
2: Yeah, it was actually one of the bigger motivators when I was thinking about running was the realization, a couple of realizations. One is Pennsylvania is the largest state in the country that has no women in Congress, 18 congressmen two senators, both men. Uh, we're the largest one in the country that has no women. And we need the diver- that diversity at the table. But also the realization that, similar to what you just were saying, of those 18, I think only one has, a, has some sort of service, only one has some sort of a business background, only one has some sort of an education background. And again, back to the conversation of what motivated me to run, those are the pillars of our economy and those are the pillars of the responsibility of the government to make sure that we're helping each other, elevating each other. And so yes, I believe all of that diversity needs to be at the table.
0: Let's talk about the race and how you're expecting it to go. You're just a couple months away. Are you already starting to look at property in Washington, D.C.? I mean, how do you think things are going to go? Is the fight anywhere near over with two months less for for somebody who's never run for office? I don't know. Is everything done at this point? Are you still out there pounding the
2: pavement? I am absolutely uh, nose down, head down, you know, making sure that I finish what I've started. Uh, In addition to all of the things that I've done in my life, I'm also pathologically competitive and I want to make sure that I, I finish this opportunity. I've been running now for Congress to be able to serve in this new way for almost 18 months. Uh, I have two more months to go and I need to finish it strong. I, I'm confident, I'm hopeful that I'll have the opportunity to serve in this, in this new way, uh, but I take nothing for granted. One of the bigger reasons I'm running is because of an expectation of what would have happened two years ago, uh, and so I want to make sure that I take none of this for granted and none of the people that I hope to serve for granted either.
0: If people are interested in finding out more about your campaign or with honor, I know that you've uh, you've had some dealings with them who are basically trying to get veterans into Congress, regardless of party affiliation. Where can people go to find out more about Chrissy Houlihan and find out more about your fellow veterans that are running for office this year?
2: Sure. There's a couple of great places. There's obviously, for me specifically, my website, Chrissy for congress.com You mentioned With Honor, which is a terrific and bipartisan organization. There are a number of other organizations that have been enormously helpful to me. VoteVets.org is another place where you can access lists of veterans who are running for Congress in our community, in our country. And lastly, Serve America, which is an organization that doesn't just feature and highlight uh, veterans, but also people of service. So CIA, FBI, City Year, Peace Corps, Teach for America, which I was also part of. That kind of service matters too.
0: Chrissy Chrissy Houlihan, candidate for Congress, Pennsylvania's 6th District, western suburbs of Philadelphia. Best of luck to you in two months when you're up for that election. And if you make it down to D.C., we hope you come and visit
2: us in the studio again. I plan on it. Thank you.
0: Welcome back to The Morning Briefing, Monday edition. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. Connecting Vets, your website. And we mean that. Created by Vets for Vets. ConnectingBets.com is connecting Vets every day through a variety of platforms. We've got audio. You're listening to this. You know that. We've got videos. We've got stories. We are covering the veteran beat like nobody else out there. So you want to check us out every day and follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Our next guest is a member of the team at Iraq and Afghanistan, Veterans of America, and a many-time now guest of the show, Mr. Tom Porter. Tom, how's it going today? Outstanding. Uh, good to be here with you. It's good to be here with you, too, and as I understand it, you know, this this took place a week ago now, but I haven't seen you since then. You actually just took part in a pretty cool event on uh, September 11th. There was a run that you took part in, uh, in in honor of September 11th, right?
3: Right, Eric, and as you you know, the, the this anniversary, the 17th anniversary, just means so much to uh, to our generation and, and people like uh, you and I that that uh, went over to Afghanistan uh, in the following years, uh, and so one of the key things, uh, key ways, do we do to to remember and to support the families uh, of the fallen um, is uh, in the DC area at least. Uh, there is an annual uh, 5K. It's not huge, but it's a really great get together. A lot of people run it every year. I try to. Uh, I've done it five or six times. Did it with my young daughter this time just to be able to see everybody come out running uh, in memory of people that were lost that day uh, and to be able to tell stories, share
0: stories and to support a worthy cause.
3: So great, great night for
0: a run. There were a lot of great events taking place on the day to make sure that people remember because believe it or not, there are some people who've kind of forgotten what that was all about. They've forgotten uh, a lot of the things. They've certainly forgotten how to care about each other, it seems, out there a lot and now we have people who are old enough to enlist in the United States military. You can enlist at 17, who were not alive when it happened. I mean, it's something that is now. Seventeen years is—it's a good long time. It's not too far in the past, but this is a point where you know we're going to need to make sure that the the ensuing generations uh, remember what happened there, and remember that attack on uh, on everything that we hold dear, and of course, along with those great events like the the run that you took part in, there was also the uh, uh, running to remember two hundred and forty mile relay from the Pentagon up to the towers. A lot going on, and there's also some legislation regarding September 11th, particularly a memorial. And I guess there's some news on that.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a, uh, a piece of legislation that we've been supporting uh, last Congress and this Congress. Unfortunately, didn't pass last time. But uh, if you uh, or any of your listeners have been to the National September 11th Memorial in New York City, uh, you know it's a, just a phenomenal accomplishment. And they do an amazing job of telling the story of what happened on that day at, at, at all the the, uh, the sites Um, really, really well done. Took my daughters there. Um, nothing like that experience to tell the story. Uh, so this act, it, uh, it provides grants, uh, to that and the other sites of for operations and security. As you can imagine, uh, with a site like that in Manhattan, it's, it's about the, the most visited museum in the entire nation. Yeah. Uh, big security concerns there. Lots of people there all the time. It takes a lot to secure that ground. And so this legislation is really needed to help them continue to tell
0: that that valuable and important story into the future. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen recent attacks. We had one in New York City uh, that was in a park in New York City where a guy essentially took a van and drove off the road and, and killed yep. a bunch of people. I imagine if something like that happened with the crowds of thousands that are down at the memorial. Right. And mean.
3: it's it's huge, it's wide open, uh, and lots of people, and it's just a very, very sensitive subject and area. And uh, Congressman MacArthur um, uh, from uh, New Jersey uh, he's introduced the bill. It recently was passed by the House just a few days ago. Uh, it's HR six two eight seven, and Senator Booker uh, has the has the Senate companion, and that's S three one six seven. House has passed it unanimously. Uh, we need the Senate to pick this bill up, pass it, so that we can better enable
0: the museum to keep telling this story uh, into the future. And that is something that I think a lot of people will be able to get behind. There's another thing that uh, I've heard some people are behind, some people aren't and that is uh, the appropriations bill. Basically the budget for the VA now starting to come in. We've heard some good things and some bad things. One, it's more money than the VA's ever had and considering that over the last year or so it seems they've been running out of money fairly regularly to cover a lot of their programs. There are also some problems with it as far as covering everything that's in the Mission Act. That's not happening on this uh, this budget for the VA. What well, can you tell me about what IAVA? Is looking at and how they're taking this uh, VA budget?
3: Well, what's happening, is a little unusual because Congress uh, usually does not, is not able to make its uh, deadline to pass funding by the end of the fiscal year. Uh, so for at least the VA and, and some of the other agencies, they uh, Congress just passed it and sent it to the president uh, just recently. Uh, he's expected to sign it. Uh, it is record spending for the VA Almost two hundred and nine billion dollars. That's a twelve billion dollar increase over last year. That's significant. Uh, it's it's got uh, for our priorities for burn pits. We've talked about a lot on this show. It's got a, a, a five extra million dollars uh, to convert the research that's already been done into developing clinical treatments for those exposed to burn pits and airborne toxins. Um, it uh, got additional five million dollars to create a burn pit center of excellence to really focus on this issue. Uh, so these are important. Uh, women veterans, it, it's got extra money more than last year to retrofit facilities and, and, uh, the, the, and decrease barriers to care. Um, also funding for, for female prosthetic research. It's got money for suicide prevention, an extra $16 million over last year uh, that goes for suicide prevention outreach. Also improvements to the veterans crisis line. So yeah, lots of great stuff from the bill. I know you mentioned uh, um, Mission Act, uh, didn't see all the funding that we'd like, but we understand there's enough funding for the next year. But we, we really need VA to to make sure that they let Congress know that when they need more money to go ask for it and not, uh, not try to take it from other programs.
0: <laughs> well, good luck with that because we've talked to other groups that are working on some other things like the Blue Water Navy issue with the VFW, who the VA has essentially said, well, it's going to cost more money and take more work, so we don't want to do it it's looking like congress is going to get that through but uh, va is still complaining about it i mean it's it, it's certainly no government organization is perfect. I don't know if there is any organization out there that's perfect. But, you know, I, there are a lot of issues going on right now. There are good things. There are bad things. Some of them are over at the VA taking place. are great. Some are not so great. You mentioned a couple of things in there that fall on the big six list of priorities for IAVA this year. To run down those list of six, sustain the campaign to combat suicide among troops and veterans, sustain the campaign to recognize and improve services for women veterans, defend veteran and military education benefits, benefits, defend and reform government support for today's veterans, initiate support for injuries from burn pits and other toxic exposure, and initiate empowerment of veterans who want to utilize cannabis. We're going to talk about a few of those right now. Let's talk about that last one first because this past uh you know past 10 days or so, we've seen some changes where the House of Representatives decide to take some wording out of a bill that would have allowed VA doctors to prescribe medical marijuana where it's already legal. Uh, that seems to go against uh, number six on the IAVA big six list there, Tom.
3: It, it does, Eric. thanks for uh, the, the, that uh, that list of our priorities. You're really batting a thousand on this thing. So, <laughs> it's uh, written down in front of me, not too hard. <laughs> so uh, there was language in in this same VA funding bill uh, that would have allowed uh, uh, VA docs uh, to discuss and make recommendations on medicinal cannabis use to veterans, if th- that veteran is in a state where it's legal, huh. um, that that's perfectly fine with us, and it's something they should be doing more of. Uh, however, um, it it was stripped out of the final bill. Uh, I'm just uh, we don't know exactly who it was, but uh, you know it's, uh, it's I'm sure it's somebody that doesn't like. Cannabis use, uh, but uh, you know, lots of veterans are are making the case, uh, and there are perfect many perfect examples of where veterans are being treated well with medicinal cannabis. We need to know the benefits of this too, and that's why we've been been supportive of of legislation that would uh, direct the VA to do the research on it to determine right. is it safe and does it work, and then we can have that answer and then move forward from there. But yes. We hope to get that same provision back next year or the earliest chance we can and push
0: for the additional research at the VA. And this is something that, again, this is not the VA's fault. The VA was on board with, hey, if you give us the ability to do this, we'll do this. Uh, I've heard from some physicians at the VA off the record who have essentially said, you know, this is something we'd like to be able to look into. We're just kind of hamstrung as it stands right now. This was our politicians. And this is something that people can address directly with their politicians, can't they?
3: Yep, and, and I'll, I want to add. There's also been one other development on this same issue. The sponsors of the Senate uh, of that of the House and Senate bills, uh, House Veterans Committee Chairman Rowe and Ranking Member Walls, and Senator Tester, and and then also Senator Sullivan, uh, who sponsored the bill. They wrote a, a pretty strong letter to the VA just a few days ago, uh, asking them to do this exact same thing that the legislation does, has them to start. Uh, rigorous research in to see if it's safe and does it work. So that's another effort that uh, we can congratulate them for them. Uh, Thank them for their efforts
0: on this, on our behalf. It does seem like the people who are against this are are fighting a losing battle. I mean, as you said, it's legal in 31 states. That is three-fifths of the United States. That's some pretty easy math when you got 50 states. It's just over three-fifths of the United States where it's legal, I don't understand the logic behind making it illegal just for veterans to be able to get it through the Department of Veterans Affairs. That seems counterintuitive to me. It also seems like something that's going to change eventually in this tactic of delay, delay, delay. Uh, all you're doing is wasting time. I mean, at least that's how it seems to me.
3: You're right. And the tide is is turning on this fast. Public opinion is changing rapidly. Uh, 62% of IAVA members support medicinal use of cannabis for veterans. Yeah, uh, that's big. Uh, and, and the more people I talk to on the Hill, especially um, a lot of the, the offices that would be that you would think, well, they're slam dunk against any kind of uh, any movement on this where I've been heard, heard encouraging words of support. So I'm really, really surprised at how this is changing minds in just a short period of time.
0: Yeah, and actually, you know what? what's kind of surprising to me is that IAVA, which tends to skew younger than any other veteran service organization just because of the nature of the organization, that you need to be a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan to qualify – the percentage of those who support it, are actually it's actually lower than in some of the older VSOs. There are some older VSOs where they've got 80%, 90% support for this. I mean, this has wide-ranging support. The other uh, VSOs, of course, that IAVA is very familiar with have, have all come around on this. IAVA was kind of leading the charge on it uh, for various reasons. But uh, all of the other VSOs seem to be in agreement. It's just some politicians. And when you talk about the House of Representatives – there's hundreds of them. In the Senate, there's 100. We know who they are. There are Congress members, and nobody knows who their names are. Some of the people who voted for them probably don't know what their name right. is. And they have a lot of differing opinions. And you know, if they have enough poll, they can get something pulled out of legislation. And the best way to fix that is to speak to your representative, your state representative, and make sure that they know how you feel about
3: that. Right, and there's an easy way to do that. If you're if you shy about calling up the, your member of Congress, you can just Google IAVA take action and, and you can send your members of Congress a letter. It takes a minute yeah. to your two senators and your one House member, and they get a letter directly from you on, on this and, and a number of other of our top priorities.
0: Yeah, but my, my advice is don't be shy, you're their boss. They work for you. You're right. Imagine if your boss didn't want to come in. If you if you weren't doing your job right, and your boss just didn't say anything about it, you're, you're never going to start doing your job
3: right. Right, and you're right on that. And and that's why we uh, we have a professional uh, development program for our members called Storm the Hill. Uh, we every quarter we bring members from all over the country. We train them on how to uh, assert themselves, learn the policy, and make the hard asks to their members of Congress. And we go to the hill. Uh, and we get some tremendous leadership skills built amongst our membership base using this program. We're doing our next one the first week of October. It's coming up. Follow us on all our social media channels. We'll see how we how we fare.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, at IAVA for the most part. Yeah, I mean, on Twitter. People yep. want to go. Yep. And, and on, on uh,
3: Facebook as well, Instagram. So. Facebook,
0: I think you guys actually have a different one where it's like at IAVA.com. Dot- org or something like that is the actual uh, the Facebook one. But still, if you just look up IAVA, there are going to be a few different chapters and things that come up. You want to look for the national one, the big one. It's got the most followers. Click on that one, and you'll be able to find all about everything that's going on there. Number three on the list of the big six is defending veteran and military education benefits. Uh, this is something where we've seen some movement lately on some improvements to the GI Bill. i have also seen some questionable things as far as uh, them looking to limit the ability to transfer your benefits to your children or your spouse or whomever after you get out. I, I know that the IAVA is doing a lot to to take aim at this issue. And in fact, you've got a petition regarding the BI, GI Bill that's out there right now. What can you tell us about that petition?
3: Yeah, this, this petition is in response to the Department of Defense's decision a few weeks back uh, to limit the uh, the ability for a service member to transfer their unused portion of their GI Bill benefits to their, uh, to their uh, dependents as they can now. Uh, so you have to do it now before the 16th year of your career. Now this discriminates against those who haven't made a decision to have a child yet. Yeah. Uh, and so that GI Bill is wasted. And so this is something that, that is, has been earned by a service member service, something that they've been looking forward to for their entire career uh, we need to make sure that we don't decrease these important transformative benefits and we make sure that they've got maximum ability to use it. So in response to that, we have a petition out uh, that uh, we're about ready to, uh, to deliver uh, uh, to the Secretary of Defense. Uh, it's, it's got tens of thousands of them and it's getting, getting more every day. So we're, we're looking forward to that. And we appreciate all the other
0: VSO support on this, on this side of the issue. Uh, we hope they hear our voices on this. There are a lot of voices out there uh, individually, but when they join together in a group like a VSO, like IAVA, you can get so much more done. And me sitting here complaining about the fact that if this were something that had affected me, I didn't have children until after I left the service. Does that make them any less important? Does that make them any less eligible? Well, under these new changes, yes, it would make them less eligible. And... It's also set up and timed to kind of take advantage of those who are nearing retirement, because the military knows what are you going to do? Sixteen years in, you're going to get out now. You're going to get out and not retire because you're upset about the GI Bill benefits? No, you're not. Shut up. Put on your uniform and go to work. They know they've got them over a barrel, and they're taking full advantage of that. And it's it's not a good situation. And I'm glad to see that there are organizations who are working to uh, uh, make it make them aware, uh, make the make the Congress aware of what we want. Uh, and what's actually happening, because this was a unilateral decision from the DOD, from what I understand, based on recruiting more than anything. Okay, it may be a recruiting tool to get you in, but after you're in, that's no longer a recruiting tool. That's a promised benefit.
3: Yep, and and they weren't clear at all about their reasoning why. And in their initial announcement, they they said that they did it so they could focus more on retention. And a lot of us had this kind of lingering question mark in our heads, like, how does that help retention? And I think that in talking to members of Congress that, from both parties that have been working on opposing this as well, and there's lots, uh, they're not getting the answers that they're looking for as well. So hope, hoping that the DOD and Secretary Mattis hears, hears our, uh,
0: our calls on this and, and backs, this, uh, backs, backs off on this proposal. Yeah, it's uh, something that I don't think is particularly good as we speak here with Legislative Director for IAVA, Mr. Tom Porter. Uh, We talked a little bit about it already, but women veterans facing a number of issues. There's a new DAV report that came out that lists uh, something like 45 different points that they think that the government and the VA need to address when it comes to women veteran issues. This is one of the big six for IAVA. How, How do you think we're doing on the progress on that? I mean, some things are getting better, but is it getting better fast enough?
3: They are, and it's never fast enough. Uh, it's a big job. Uh, you know, one of our top priorities is is uh, VA reform, and, and and there's a lot to that. But big under that is making sure it works for everybody, including women veterans. Twenty percent of our memberships, women veterans. They've been telling us for for years that there's gaps in care uh, that we need to fix, and we set out to do that when we uh, had a, started a campaign called the She Who Born the Battle campaign last year, and it's a big umbrella of policies to help uh, improve. The care that we give and owe our, our female veterans, the uh, peer-to-peer counseling, uh, making sure there's uh, a women's uh, primary care physician or provider in each VA medical facility, making sure that when they collect data on on how well their programs are working, they that they collect gender-specific data. They don't surprisingly. Mm. Uh, increasing the amount of time that uh, uh, newborn care can be given to a woman that's. Getting her care by the VA. So these are just examples of some that we've we've targeted uh, to make improvements on. The Mission Act took a big one and, and made and made that into law. That's the peer to peer counseling. Mm-hmm. They made that. That's from our Deborah Sampson Act. Um, that's something we've been pushing on for a long time. So some things are
0: working. Some things have already been put in place, but there's still a lot to go, A lot more to go. There is a lot of work still to be done. And even if all of the big six items for IAVA were to magically like snap your fingers, wave a wand, and all of them are taken care of. There's another big six waiting out there to be addressed, and that's what IAVA and the rest of the VSOs are all about, taking on these big-ticket items, and, you know, you each have to choose. Your individual things are going to be the top priority for you. One for you, specifically for IAVA, is burn pits and toxic exposures, getting support for injuries from them. This is something where there is a parallel issue that some of the – uh Other VSOs are working on, doesn't affect the IAVA membership particularly, but the Blue Water Navy issue in regards to sailors off the coast of Vietnam being affected by Agent Orange, not being eligible for the same benefits as those who are boots on the ground and affected by Agent Orange. This has gone on now for decades. Are you worried that we could see something similar, or are you confident that the legislation, like the uh, bipartisan uh, legislation introduced by Representatives Gabbard and Mast recently, is actually going to do something and start getting something done? Yeah, this is essentially the same issue, Eric. I'm glad
3: you brought that up. The Blue Water Navy folks, you know, this is a real problem. Uh, It's gone unsolved, and that's why uh, the Vietnam Veterans of America are standing with us on the burn pits issue, because... They've told us we don't we don't want this to be your agent Orange, um, and so this is something that's unfortunate. You alluded to it before. Secretary Wilkie came out and opposed to the Blue Water Navy bill. Um, that 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 doesn't send a great message to us because number one, we want the Blue Water Navy guys taken care of, but two, it seems to me that by that same reasoning that they, he wouldn't support uh,
0: making the link
3: uh for the burn pits uh to get to get our generation it's a logical treated.
0: conclusion i mean yeah. if using logic which <laughs> doesn't always uh, isn't always the best thing to do when talking about the va using logic and looking at you know example a you'd exu- assume example b is going to be treated the same way
3: yeah because i think they said that, that they could not make a 100% connection uh, well you know that it's 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 almost impossible to make a 100% connection because so many of these exposures are different, and yeah. the reactions are different. You just look at all the 9 uh, first responders' diseases and cancers that they're coming out with. Same thing's happening with us, uh, and it, it's whether or not it was the airborne feces in Kabul or the burn pits in, in, in Iraq and, and uh, in Kandahar, the Poupon in Kandahar. Uh, so many different things that, that can get in your system and react. you react differently a lot of the times. So we're, we're not going to get 100% connection. We need to start,
0: start doing the science and, and treating veterans now. I think we can look at what's happening to those Vietnam veterans now and use it as a warning to us from the Iraq and Afghanistan areas eras because one of the reasons that the uh, VA is fighting answering saying, well, we can't prove it because we can't get water samples because it was 60 years ago. Yet yeah, we know that it was that long ago. And if you'd done your job right the first time, we probably would have had a little bit more ability to look at those things, but we didn't. So here we are. That's why they need to be held accountable now. I want to talk to you last as we finish up here, Tom, about one of the most important things that's affecting the veteran community. It is number one on the IAVA's Big Six, and this being Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Sustaining the campaign to, campaign to combat suicide among troops and veterans is number one on your list. What is IAVA doing directly? I know you guys have some great programs that are working to help people who are struggling. I'm really glad you brought that up, Eric. Um, and just for you listening, have a pen ready at
3: the end, uh, and I'll give out the uh, the contact uh, phone number and email. But, uh, we have a really uh, beautiful program called the Rapid Response Referral Program. It's a, it's a master's level caseworker's uh, that, that IAVA maintains in-house. Uh, we help any veteran for free. You don't have to be an IAVA member. Uh, if, if you get a hold of us and you're, you're in need of assistance, whether it be mental health uh, uh, challenges or, or, uh, or problems in, with homelessness or you can't make your rent, all of these things can lead to, uh, to uh, uh, mental health challenges. Um, and so I would encourage you to call our, our RIP team. Uh, the number is... 855-91-RAPID, R-A-P-I-D, or it's 855-917-2743, or you can email at transition at iava.org. They're just a great team. They've helped over 9,000 veterans so far in just a handful of years that we've been helping veterans. So really would encourage you to, to look out for yourself, look out for your, your battle buddies, Check in with another veteran if you think there's some problems. Check in anyway. And if,
0: if and refer them, please, to our RIP team so that we can try to help somebody that may be in crisis. That's exactly what needs to happen, and it's great to hear that IAVA is doing that. If people are fi- interested in finding out more about IAVA in general, finding out about the Big Six, we've already talked about social media. I'm sure there's a website they can go to, too, right, Tom? Absolutely. That's, that's
3: IAVA.org. You can find everything from where we came from, what we've done, a lot of the legislative victories we've had on Capitol Hill and the administration, um, and also how you can contact your member of Congress easily, directly, and quickly.
0: Yep. And how you can join IAVA, which, unlike most of the other VSOs, doesn't cost you anything to join. Yes, you,
3: you we, we think you pay for your, with your service. Uh, go to iava.org, join for free, and, uh, and link up with us and, and find out
0: uh, how you can plug in. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day and Connecting Vets right after this.
1: Helping military veterans stay connected.
2: We make it easy.
1: We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day.
2: Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets.